So we're starting off our new series, as you can see, Public Enemy, looking at uh, Jesus Christ and the impact he made on the first century and really all of history and including our future. Uh, before I do that, though, i got a couple things uh, that I want to go over with you, and uh, I promise it won't be too long. We'll get out before 2 o'clock today, so we're good. Uh, the roast won't burn. We'll be fine. Uh, first of all, I want to thank the guys that were here yesterday. We had 12 of us here. Um, and uh, it's amazing if you pump 10 guys full of donuts, coffee, bacon, and sausages, what they can get done. I mean, it was amazing. It was, it was scary. I say 10 because um, it was Red's and my responsibility to supervise everything that was going on. So, and we did a great job, Red, right? I'm so, I'm, all right. He was whistling at him and yelling at him yesterday. It was pretty good. Um, anyways, we got some things taken care of and got the quad cleaned out, so we're ready for the birthday party next week. And um, so you want to be here for that. We've got a bunch of games planned. got a bunch of food planned. We've got a pinata. Health food, like vegetables, broccoli. You know, we're all about health food here. Uh, I told Kim, find one that looks like me. That way people really, you know, beat the... Uh, but anyway, so thanks, guys. I appreciate that. And we're going to be having more information coming out for the guys, for the men's ministry, and what we're going to be doing this coming year. Um, so just one thing, we're moving the men's leadership group. Uh, we're that new round, the multiplying aspect of that, is happening in May. So... We're moving it up to May. I'll get an email out to everybody so kind of explain what we're doing. The second thing is uh, our Synergize update. Some people have been asking about this, and we finally got some uh, solid numbers in and all that kind of stuff. Really quickly, for those uh, we're not aware, back in January, um, the main campus uh, said, hey, we're going to do a, um, a financial campaign to help launch a new campus in Tiffin, Ohio, so south of Fremont, where Grace Community Church is. And... Um, so I'm like, okay, so how can one of your campuses help? You know, kind of, how are we going to do that? So what we uh, talked about doing and, and approved everything with the elders and all that kind of stuff was they wanted us to do an over and above giving, because that's what this financial campaign is. Um, you know, everyone uh, who's a part of our church, regular tender member, you know, gives on a regular basis for our regular ministries. And then we're encouraging people and asking people if the Lord would lead you to give over and above um, what you would normally give for three years and uh, accomplish some things. One, ultimately, is to get the campus down in Tiffin launched. Um, but for us, they said, hey, we want you to take care of the three main projects you guys are dealing with, and that is the roof, which needs to be replaced, um, the parking lot, which needs to be taken care of, and we have two HVAC units that don't have AC. Um, and we got a great deal on that to get those replaced. So... Our three-year over-and-above giving goal for Synergize was $20,000, all right? We have 40000 in our sinking budget or sinking fund, which is kind of a savings account within a budget, if you're familiar with budgeting. So we kind of thought, well, we'll, we'll shoot for 20000 What was pledged, what you guys said that you would be willing to give, should the Lord allow you to, and as life, you know, is, as you're blessed, 55 1760 So, way to go. Yeah, I think you guys deserve a, a hand clap there. And, and again, I know people say, well, churches are all about money. <clears throat> well, if churches are all about money, it means you guys are all about money because you are the church, right? <laughs> so, we can't do anything unless we're all giving, right? I mean, we're the ones who 
take care of what we're doing. We say, hey, this is where we're going, and therefore we're going to help us get there. You know, so it's, it's good. But yeah, 55 plus thousand, it's just like, phew, it blew me away. Then what the elders would like to do is every time we do a, a financial giving thing, over and above type thing, that the church also gives kind of a 5% mission gift to another ministry somewhere out there, and we will make a decision as to what that is. So of the 55760 2788 is going to go towards another ministry, okay, help another ministry accomplish what God wants to do through them. Grace Point Projects, the elders are like, I know you guys were shooting for 20, but we're going to go ahead and give you 30 of it, you know, to get your stuff done. So we've got a little more leeway. You know, that way we can put like a, a copper roof on the building. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Okay, that's fine. So, yeah, so we got 30000 uh, over the next three years to kind of get th- some things righted on our building. And then the Tiffin campus would get 22972 um, to help them get things launched. So just thanking the Lord for that, thanking the Lord for you guys um, and for us as a church. God's using us, and I'm so glad to be able to be a part of this church and be a part of um, what God's going to do in and through us. So, and we've only been at it a year. I, you know, it's just I can't fathom that it's sometimes only a year. In a good way, I feel like it's longer. Um, so anyways, great. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And we'll continue to keep you updated on what's going on. Oh, if you're like, oh, I forgot. Um, there's still some Synergize pamphlets out there with the little commitment card. So if you're like, oh, you know, I'd like to help with that, um, Feel free to get that, fill it out, send it in the church. We'll add it to uh, what the Lord's already done. So appreciate that. So public enemy, Jesus Christ. So I asked this question, what was it about Jesus that got everyone so riled up and caused a guy from a known name town to be considered a public enemy, public enemy number one? Uh, so one of the answers that we're going to look at today, it's found in Mark chapter 1. So go ahead and turn there. It's page 994 in the Pew Bible there in front of you. And Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at just two verses to kind of get ourselves kicked off. Now here's, uh, here's something I would just encourage you. If you don't have a Bible in your hand, grab a Bible, uh, open it up, make sure that what I'm reading is actually in the Bible. <laughs> you know, not some sort of word magician. Uh, make sure it's there. Follow along with me on that. It'll be up on the screen as well, but that's just to keep your eyes from falling asleep when you're looking up at me. Not like, like the lights aren't bright enough and blinding you off my bald head. But So here's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. So now after John had been taken into custody, John the Baptist, that is, the one who went ahead of Jesus and said, there's one coming who's going to restore Israel. So now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Seems kind of harmless, right? Some guy walks in, makes that statement. Nothing really controversial in that, right? You kind of feeling that? I mean, Jesus obviously said some other more controversial things as he got into his ministry. We're going to look at uh, at least one of those briefly this morning. So what was it about the statement that caused him to become the enemy of so many? 
Well, first you have to realize um, who Jesus is, and then you have to understand that he wasn't making a statement here. Or if he was, it wasn't just a, hey, everybody, guess what? He was actually making a declaration of war against his enemies and anybody who would follow after those enemies. See, Jesus, when he came to earth, we have a... a, In fact, I'm not sure if this is even the best picture (laughs) of him, but we have this mindset, and we've sterilized it so much, we picture some guy in a a robe, which, you know, he had what they wore those days, looked kind kind of a robe to us, And, and he had his, you know, gaiters on, and just kind of walking through, and he didn't quite touch the ground, you know, and he's floating almost, and and as he moved his hands, and it was very elegant, and he spoke with English accent, and, and we're all like, oh, wow, he's just, it's so beautiful. You know, when Jesus came to earth, it wasn't some 60s guy in a VW van with flowers, all right, going, hey, man, can we have this peace in the world? I love you guys. Let's hug. All right, that wasn't Jesus. When Jesus came to earth... He was on a supernatural mission to take back what was originally his. And it was going to happen over his dead body. Jesus was on mission. He was not some whimsical, strange guy with hair flowing in the wind. I'm sure his hair flew in the wind. But the point is, he was on mission. He was on an eternal mission, an infinite mission. And he was serious about what he was doing. And that is what caused him to be public enemy number one. Now, you might be saying, okay, Harold, sounds great. You got me all excited about what you're saying there. But where do you get that in that statement? Because that statement seems kind of, you know, normal. doesn't seem any, anything strange. Well, let's break it down. And as I say on Thursday night, let's break it down. Um, hopefully no one saw that. Um, so where do I get, <laughs> where do I get this from what Jesus said? The first thing is this phrase, the time is fulfilled. So what does he mean by that? In verse 15 here, the time is fulfilled. Jesus' arrival on, on earth, and specifically directly after John the Baptist, got done with fulfilling a prophecy from Isaiah 700 plus years previous. Isaiah said there's going to be somebody who's going to be walking around saying, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist shows up in Israel 700 years later saying, hey, repent, get ready, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus shows up. That wasn't a mistake. That was planned. It was planned by God. It was something that God was going to bring to fruition. So when a time is fulfilled, it means that, that, that all the prophecies and all the promises in the Old Testament about this Messiah, this King, Savior guy, who's going to come and free Israel and all mankind, even though Israel kind of forgot that from time to time, that 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 was going to happen. And when Jesus showed up, all of those funneled down into, boom, Jesus Christ standing there on that ground saying, the time was fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is huge stuff. Because Adam and Eve, when they sinned, They created for all mankind spiritual death and physical death. And it causes so man was separated from God, would not be able to have a relationship 
with God. And if he were to die in that condition, he would spend an eternity in hell. Not because God wanted that necessarily, but because they were going the direction that Satan was going. Hell was actually created for Satan and his demons, not originally for mankind. But when man decides, I'm going to do life my way, like Satan did, he sins against God like Satan did, and the end result is the same. But there's only someone, there's only one person who was powerful enough to fix that problem, and that's God himself. There's only someone who, that, that is infinitely powerful that can fix that problem, and that's God. And here's how Paul talked about it in Galatians 4. He said, when the fullness of time came, so there's another way of saying the time is fulfilled, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption of sons, because you are sons. You've got you to catch this, okay? Notice he's not talking about religion here, all right? He's talking about relationship. So he says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, which, by the way, the songs this morning, they're normally really good. Today, really good. They're just, I mean, literally funneling us into what God's talking about here. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So God the Father sends God the Son to pay the price for our sin, and it was going to be his life. It was going to be his blood. He came to restore mankind back to being sons and daughters of God. And we have to understand this. There's no religious ritual. There's no amount of religious rituals. You can't be baptized enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't become a member of enough churches. You can't do enough good stuff to give yourself, breathe back into yourself spiritual life. It doesn't work. None of us can do it. And Jesus definitely didn't offer himself as a sacrifice on a cross, die an eternal death, for us to continue to be religious robots, mechanically going through religious things. You know, I mean, have you noticed on... If you notice on TV, whenever you watch people who are in church, it's just robotic. Stand up, sit down, you know, go through the process of whatever religion it is. Jesus didn't die an eternal death, an excruciating death for us to do that. He did that so that we could become his sons and his daughters, and we can say to God the Father, Abba, Father. Abba, a term of endearment, intimacy with God the Father. Crazy talk in the first century, okay? The Jewish people, that alone would have caused Jesus to be stoned by the religious leaders because you do not do that and say that about God. In fact, God is so holy, you can't even say his name, the religious people would say. So he did that. He allowed us to be able to call God our Father, our Abba. And cool thing is that he gives us an inheritance, like any good father would do, any good parent would do. He gives us an inheritance. And our inheritance is in heaven. And on top of heaven, we get rewards. 
things that God's going to give us for the things that we've done in the name of Jesus. Well, then Jesus says the next statement, which is even you know, more, um, uh, I guess it's, it's more intense as we kind of look at it. And he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. You can imagine the people standing around him. Here's a guy, again, in a robe. You guys got to start having some, you know, like a cartoon mind here or something, okay? A movie mind. Here's Jesus standing in a robe and sandals, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. You got to believe the people around were going, okay, so just you. Where's the army? Anybody behind them? Nope. You know, where are the weapons? You know, he's got something hidden, some kind of nuke hidden inside his robe. He doesn't even have a white horse. He's standing there in sandals, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. So obviously, they're not getting it. Seems kind of strange. But again, it's in who we believe Jesus is and what he means by the kingdom that would help us understand how this is a de- declaration of war. We're going to look at three groups of people, and we're going to look at what they uh, thought the kingdom was, who they thought Jesus was, and then how that makes Jesus an enemy of theirs. Group number one, we're probably all familiar with this, would be the Jewish religious leaders, right? So what did they believe the kingdom was? When Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, what were the religious leaders thinking in their minds? It's important to know. They were thinking of an earthly kingdom. That's why they were probably wondering where the army was. That's probably why they were a little bit concerned when Jesus started teaching and a bunch of people started following him because they're like, you know, wait a second. This could be, he could be, um, you know, developing an army, which would be a good thing, but then they heard what he was saying about them and they didn't like that. But be as it may, they were picturing an earthly kingdom. They wanted God and when they read the Old Testament passages and they didn't quite study it out correctly, they wanted God to come down to earth and set up a kingdom where Israel would be the superpower. Now, we would call that a theocracy because God would be in charge. And just out of curiosity, who would have the most power in a nation that was controlled by God in the religious leaders' minds? Anybody? <laughs> the religious leaders. So, of course, they're thinking, yeah, earthly kingdom, you know, our Messiah is on the throne. We're the religious leaders. We've got the power. Because isn't that what usually happens in religious situations? Those that get into power have the power, maintain the power. And so they're thinking, this is great. And it's very, very seductive, very tempting. And, and I have to, you know, I have to you know, share the truth. There's going to be a period of time when Jesus is on this earth reigning in Jerusalem. We call it the Millennial Kingdom. It's a thousand-year reign of Christ. It's in our future from now, we believe. Scripture teaches it, and so we believe it. But a more important aspect of the kingdom has to happen first, and that's why Jesus came the first time, to make sure that that first aspect of the kingdom uh, would be developed. And the religious leaders figured this out right away. So they didn't believe that Jesus was their Messiah. Uh, They, of course, didn't think he was God, which means they had to explain where his power came from. So if you look over in Mark chapter 3, 
It says this, verses 20 through 22. And Jesus, he, Jesus, came home, so he came back to his hometown. The crowd gathered again to such an extent that he couldn't even eat a meal. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to make sure that happens. I don't know, what, you know, you guys need to spread out because i got a fork and knife and I'm going to eat this meal. I don't, Jesus was obviously more compassionate than I would be. When his own people heard this, he's talking about his own family, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he's lost his senses. So even Jesus' own family at this point in time thought he was nuts. And then, verse 22, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, or Beelzebul, and he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. The religious leaders not only uh, misunderstood the kingdom, now these are the religious leaders of the religion supposedly God has given the earth, okay? Not only misunderstood who Jesus was, not only misunderstood what his kingdom was, but then they said, oh, the power he's using, that's satanic. He's a tool of Satan. Now, if I was a person who knew anything back then, I would be looking for you know, some sort of you know, rod so that when the lightning bolt hit, you know, it might pass through me and not hurt me. So obviously these guys looked at him as, as their enemy. He wasn't setting up the kingdom they wanted. His power was from Satan, according to them. And the other thing, and I think this is probably even the biggest issue, they didn't like the fact that Jesus was influencing people to follow him. Because the more that he influenced them to follow him, the less they followed the religious leaders. And religious leaders, to be religious leaders, even Paul says this in Galatians, religious leaders, to be religious leaders, need people to follow them. Otherwise, they're not leading anybody, right? So they looked at him as an enemy. Well, how influential was Jesus with the Jewish people? So that's group number two. Who did they, or what did they think the kingdom was going to be? The king, they thought the kingdom was going to be an earthly kingdom, pretty much. The religious, teacher, or religious leaders had taught them that, so they kind of went with that. Again, who wouldn't want to be part of a superpower on earth? You know, all of us are, by the way, if you didn't know that. It's kind of nice, kind of reassuring at some point or another, depending on who's president and who has the red button, you know, and then we get a little bit nervous, you know, might freak out on that. So they were thinking of an earthly kingdom as well. So what do they think of Jesus? If you want, you can turn over to uh, John chapter 6. Because in John chapter 6, and we're not going to read all of it, it's a long chapter, I'm just going to point out some verses to you kind of lead you through it real quick. But this gives us a really good idea of um, who the Jewish people saw Jesus as. Okay, So John chapter 6, it's to the right of, of Mark, a couple books. And uh, 6.14 is, is what we're going to read first. But Jesus has just got done feeding the 5,000. That was 5,000 men. So the, with women and children, there could have been 15,000 uh, 10, 15,000 people. He feeds them. He feeds them with, you know, some fish and some bread, which I guess back then that was a good thing. I'd go for a hamburger, but um, he went with fish and bread. That's fine. And after he did that, here's what the people said. Therefore, when the people saw the sign, him feeding the, the 5,000 plus, which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So, the Jewish people saw him as possibly not only a prophet, but 
the prophet. Now, who's the prophet? The prophet was uh, someone who Moses actually prophesied, saying that one day another man like me, someone who has led and fed Israel, is going to show up. And he's going to, like I did, lead and feed Israel. So the Jewish people say, okay, Moses led and fed. Here's Jesus leading and feeding. So maybe this is the prophet, the one, the prophet that Moses was talking about. So they're pretty excited. In fact, they're so excited, verse 15, Jesus says, I'm not going to read it, but I think it's up on the screen. Jesus decided, I've got to get out of here because if I don't, they're going to try to force me to be their king. So they, they like what Jesus is doing so much, they want to force him to be the king. King of what? King of an earthly kingdom that they thought that they were going to be getting with him. So they saw Jesus as, a, as maybe a prophet, but ultimately they didn't see him as somebody worth following. And we find that later on in John chapter 6. And here's how I'll set it up for you. Uh, verses 53 and 54, Jesus teaches this. He says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And what he's, what he's saying there, he's catching their attention. He's not saying you have to be a cannibal. All right, He's not saying that. What he's saying is, you have to take into me what you're going to eventually see me do on the cross. I'm going to give my body up and I'm going to give my blood up for you. You have to take that into your own heart and mind, receive that, and, and through that receive me, and in that you'll find eternal life. Well, after realizing that Jesus said that, verse 66 says this, as a result of this, Many of his disciples, and not his twelve, but the general group of people following him, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So ultimately, he might have been a prophet, but just like all the other prophets in the Old Testament, Israel decided we're going to reject him. These guys decided to reject him. And we know that he was an enemy because the end was, at his trial, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? They say, we want Barabbas, a known murderer. We want Barabbas, and Jesus, we want him crucified. So they, obviously, were an enemy as well. Well, the final group. Let me try to whip through this as quickly as I can, but here's the deal. <laughs> we have to go to Satan and the demons to find out the truth about what the kingdom was and who Jesus was. The religious leaders didn't know it. The people didn't know it. But Satan and his demons, they knew who Jesus was. They knew what the kingdom was. I'm going to go backwards here with a couple points. First of all, Jesus obviously was their enemy. If you go back to Mark chapter 1, Verse 21 through 27, so Jesus moves on from here, starts teaching. 27 through, or 21 through 27. So they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. <laughs> it's kind of funny. The scribes, when they teach, everyone's like, 
you know, when Jesus is teaching, they're just like spellbound. Sometimes I feel like I'm described, but that's besides the point. Just then, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, so now a man who has a demon in him, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the holy God, the holy one of God. Jesus rebuked him, be quiet, come out of him. Thrown in convulsions, the unclean spirit came out, loud voice, and he came out of him. The demon looks at Jesus in front of everybody in that synagogue, a whole other interesting dynamic, and says, you're the holy one from God. I know who you are. You're an enemy of mine. Jesus was the Holy One of God. Jesus was their enemy. He was going to take away their power and their influence, their kingdom on this earth. So what do they think the kingdom was? And here's a key point. They not only understood that the kingdom was a spiritual kingdom of God, they understood that Jesus was the kingdom. The kingdom of God isn't some thing. All right? It's not some place. The kingdom of God is Jesus Christ. And is Jesus Christ reigning on a throne, reigning on a throne of all the universe, including our own hearts and our own minds. That's why when Jesus said in, in verse 15, the kingdom of God is at hand, he's standing there saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Me, I am the kingdom of God. Luke 17, Jesus said it this way, Jesus told the Pharisees, now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, because they wanted to know, when are you going to establish his earthly kingdom? He answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or look, there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. That word in your midst can also be translated within you. Isn't that cool? The kingdom of God, we think also, we think heaven, you know, we're going to be in heaven one day. Great. But the more important aspect is, do we have Christ living in us? Do we have Christ ruling and reigning in our hearts? See, no longer would Satan be fighting against angels. Satan was going to be fighting against, and really badly losing, by the way, God himself when Jesus Christ went to the cross. Jesus was going to take away not only Satan's and sin's earthly power in our lives, so we can say no to sin and live life God's way, he's going to take away the eternal consequences of our sin and of what Satan has done for to us and the choices that we've made personally. He was going to take all that away when he went to the cross. But in order for this, his kingdom to be set up, we have to say no to Satan's kingdom we have to say no to our own kingdom, and we have to say yes to Jesus Christ. We have to say yes to his kingdom, to him ruling in our lives, in our hearts, and our minds. And that's why Jesus closes out his declaration of war with the command, repent and believe. Believe in the gospel. And that's our question for us as we close this morning. Because Jesus is God and is the kingdom, and because Jesus is doing and has done everything that needs to be done in order for us to be freed from Satan's kingdom, to be freed from our own kingdom, what are we going to do with it? 
Jesus says, you need to respond to what I just said. All of history has come to this point. And in our case, all of history has come to this point. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus has come. Jesus has done the work. Now we have to respond. They had to respond. We have to respond. They responded with primarily rejection, even though some did believe, obviously. But they responded by rejecting him and and saying no to him. So the question is, hearing what you just heard today, and maybe a lot of other stuff you've heard over the years, maybe this is the first time you've heard it, have you, are you willing to make the choice today? Are you, are you saying, you know, listen, I'm going to reject it like the rest of the people did? Or are you going to repent and believe? And, and this is what repent and believe really means. Repenting means turning 180 degrees. So if I'm walking this way in life and I'm living life for myself, I'm living life for my kingdom, everything I'm doing is about me and what I want to do and how I want to do it, and I'm making decisions based on me, 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 I, 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 I want to talk about me, I want to talk about I, I want to talk about... And I'm going this way, okay? If I'm going to repent, this is what I do. For those people who are first-time attenders, we've got the cross up on the wall. It helps me with my illustrations. So I turn to Christ, all right? And I say, I'm not going to do life my way anymore. I'm not going to do life Satan's way anymore. I want to do life your way. I'm going to repent from my kingdom, I'm going to turn to your kingdom. And how do I do that? How do I step into that kingdom? I step into a relationship. I don't step into a building. I don't step into some sort of big castle. I step into a relationship. And I step into a relationship with God through faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross was, Scripture teaches, that he took my sin my death penalty, my eternal consequence of hell on his shoulders when he went to the cross. When he went to the cross, he took your sin as an individual on his shoulders. He took your eternal consequence of hell on his shoulders. And then he died in our place. He's God. He can die an eternal death for every person who's ever lived individually die that death for every person who's ever lived. And not only that, we're going to be celebrating in several weeks, rise again and defeat all that. And that's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. Listen, if religion could do it for us, you guys, or the amount of religion we do could do it for us, there's no need for Jesus to die on the cross. There's no, like, get a kickstart, okay? Jesus did it. Jesus did it all. Took care of all those sins, took care of an eternal punishment. And if, he, if he's already taking care of an eternal punishment for us, there's no way that that can be taken away from us. It's ours if we receive it by faith. Believe it. The word believe means faith. It means trusting. It means putting your full weight of trust on it. So I'm going to give you an opportunity as we close out this morning to make that choice. If you've already stepped into that relationship, man, you guys, you need to be taking this time and just thanking God for what he's done for you and the sin that he's forgiven and the fact that you get to be his child and you can call him Abba Father and you can spend time with him and he's going to teach you and when you die, you're going to go to heaven. I mean, this is time for you to be thanking him and praising him. But if you haven't done that, I can lead you in a prayer 
And again, not that the prayer saves you, but just kind of wraps up what I just said in, into a prayer. And you just pray your heart to God's heart. And I, I, you know, I'll leave you, lead you in that prayer. It's, again, not anything, not anything that I'm doing. It's just you having a conversation with God in your heart and you admitting these things that we've just talked about. So let's go ahead and close our eyes and, and bow our heads. And Again, if, if you've made this choice already, you guys, sometime in the past, praise the Lord. Boom. You are good to go. And now you just need to let Christ reign in your life and live life his way. If you haven't made that, I would encourage you to pray this prayer, and you know you need to if you, if you do. And it's simply this. Again, your heart to God is just something like this. It's, Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that the consequences of my sin is hell. But I also know and believe trusting completely that when Jesus died on the cross, he took my sin, he took my eternal death, and defeated it when he rose again. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. Now keep your eyes closed and head bowed. If you've prayed that prayer, I would love it if you just raise your hand up, slip it up real quick so I can see it, and I'd love to pray for you and even talk with you after the service. But if you've prayed that prayer, let's go ahead and, and raise your hand. And Okay, I see that. Thanks. Anyone else? Trusting in Christ and Christ alone this morning for the first time. Let me go ahead and pray. Lord, again, we want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for this one that indicated understanding that they need a relationship with you and they want you to be the Lord and King of their life. And Lord, I pray that you would confirm that decision in, in their heart and in their mind. Your, your word says that your Holy Spirit confirms with our spirit that we're a child of God. And I pray that you would do that. But Lord, I pray that uh, as we read Scripture at home and as we study it and, and all that, Lord, that we would really focus in on what the words are really saying and that we would really have a good grasp on who Jesus is and what Jesus taught and, and what his disciples taught us and that we would be faithfully following you and having you reign in our lives as we see you give us the strength to say no to sin, knowing that Satan has no part in our lives and that we would have you reigning in our lives. Lord, thank you again for this morning opportunity to worship you. Thank you for your salvation. Most importantly, thank you for Jesus Christ in whom we have that. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you can go ahead and stand. I appreciate you being here. Have a great rest of the week. Get all ready and ready to go for the party next week. And we'll see you next week. Thanks.